Rollout emergency response that shut down an elementary school. Animal cruelty caught on camera. The most sickening and sadistic abuse we have ever seen. What happens to employees accused of brutal treatment of chickens? And tight quarters. They don't want to be in a bunk bed. They want to be able to shut that curtain uh, and go to sleep at night. A peek inside Whistler's upcoming pod hotel. How much money it could save you. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. A serious show of force. The Lower Mainland's emergency response team rolling into a Surrey neighborhood early this morning. That armored vehicle, along with dozens of heavily armed officers, investigating a pair of early morning shootings. And it all unfolded as shocked neighbors looked on. Our Grace Key is live tonight with more on what prompted this kind of response. Grace. Yeah, well, police were concerned there could be a possible weapon inside the home. Now, they didn't find one in their initial entrance into it, but that was one of the reasons for the heavy police presence. A major police presence in Surrey's Newton neighborhood this morning. Neighbors woke up to see an armored vehicle rolling down their block on 58B Avenue near 125th Street. Several police in full tactical gear with weapons drawn, all focusing on one home. Neighbors being told to stay inside. I came out, the police officer came to me and said uh, to go inside for an hour at least. And I asked him why, what happened. And uh, he said, when you see people at the army people and tanks on the road you don't want to know just for today ma'am okay thank you just down the street jt brown elementary was shut down in the morning as a precaution parents dropping off their kids were being turned away saw it in the news and rushed back home make, making sure my neighborhood and my kids are safe so my daughter is too much scared morning time yeah it was scary like con shoots and stuff like that yeah it all started with two overnight shootings. At 12.15 a.m., shots were fired at 125th Street and 80th Avenue involving two vehicles. Three minutes later, a drive-by shooting at 132nd Street and 67B Avenue. A parked vehicle was targeted. No injuries were reported. Police believe the two shootings are linked and it was targeted. An investigation led them to the home in Newton. The parties involved in the shootings appear to be known to one another, um, and it doesn't appear to be involving organized crime or the drug trade, for example. At least one vehicle was towed and a couple of men led away in handcuffs. They were later released. No one has been taken into custody and no charges have been laid. The investigation is ongoing. All right, Gray, maybe still a little unsettling for residents in that neighborhood because the police cars, we can see them still behind you there. What's next in the investigation? Yeah, so there have been two police cruisers here all day. We're being told they are waiting for a search warrant for the house so they can continue their investigation. All right, we'll see what happens later. Thanks very much, Grace. Breaking news in the Okanagan tonight where helicopters are bucketing the first wildfire of the season in that area. It's burning along the West Kelowna boundary. And while it may not feel warm enough out there for wildfires, crews scrambled today to put out what was a Rank 3 fire burning near Blue Grouse Mountain. Two helicopters could be seen bucketing water from Okanagan Lake. Four fixed-wing aircraft also battling the flames, along with several fire crews on the ground. 
They now have the upper hand on this one, and investigators say a campfire is to blame. Hazmat crews responding to a call about two suspicious deaths in an East Vancouver apartment, and they suspected it was likely related to drugs. Jeff Hastings is live outside that building tonight. And Jeff, given the potency of the fentanyl emergency, uh, emergency crews were taking no chances. No chances at all, Chris. None whatsoever. It was about 11.30 this morning that a woman in distress called 911. When first responders arrived, they saw two men deceased, and they were immediately very concerned about their own safety in that apartment. So they backed off and called for a hazmat response. They were really concerned about fentanyl being there, car fentanyl, even just the slightest bit of exposure can be deadly, as we've learned in the last year or two. There was always the potential for danger, and that's why the hazardous materials team was called. It's been determined at this time that there's no no emergent danger, but we'll stay on scene to work with police. Uh, you know, it's not confined simply to the downtown east side. It's, it's citywide and even province-wide, and this is just another example of how deadly these drugs are. So it was several hours before investigators could actually get into that suite to determine that it was most likely a drug overdose that led to the deaths of the two adult males. The woman, we're told, is going to recover. Back to you. All right, Jeff Hastings in Vancouver. Thanks, Jeff. An overflow crowd this afternoon at Vancouver City Hall where council was voting on a controversial rezoning application for a proposed development on Kiefer Street in Chinatown. Catherine Urquhart joins us with more on the decision today. And Catherine, this was a no vote in the end. That's right, Sophie. Vancouver City Council voted to reject the rezoning application for 105 Kiefer Street in a vote of 8 to 3. The 12-story building would have provided 106 market-priced units along with 25 low- to moderate-income units, but there was plenty of opposition. More than 300 people spoke at public hearings. Today, BD Development Group clearly disappointed by today's vote. Uh, we've heard a lot of opinions. Uh, we respect those opinions. We respect council's decision. Um, we think it's unfortunate. We think it's perhaps a loss for Chinatown, but nevertheless, uh, we respect it. At the end of the day, what it came down to was social housing, and that's why I voted to support the project. I was very sad to see it not move forward. What we heard really was, uh, where's Chinatown going to go in the future? This is only one site, but there's many other sites in Chinatown. There's a whole issues about the the clan buildings and everything else that have to be addressed as well. It's not just one site. It has to be the entire area. In the dark, headlight tests reveal some automakers aren't too bright. Which vehicles perform the best later in the news hour? And what looks like a scene out of the Wizard of Oz, tornadoes obliterate homes and barns. We'll show you where this severe weather is happening still to come. A new Facebook post is getting a lot of attention tonight for highlighting a growing problem, the lack of respect many people have for B.C.'s pristine wilderness. Joffrey Lakes Provincial Park, just east of Pemberton, is a popular destination for campers and partiers. The problem, too many leave their garbage behind. Nadia Stewart has the story and the shocking pictures. And hidden behind this boulder, someone's weekend entire weekend clearly it was supposed to be an ordinary weekend camping trip to upper joffrey lake so this yellow thing and this tarp are just full of garbage instead it became an impromptu park cleanup 
was Devin Francis and Vince Eamon picking up trash they did not leave behind. We were both photographers, so Vince had wandered off by himself to go take some photos, and I went up up one of the like ridges. It's just off the trail, um, and I was just walking around, uh, taking photos, and discovered a huge pile of trash. It's not clear exactly how long this mess had been there, but Francis believes it was recent. They decided they couldn't leave it here, so they packed it all up. A tent cover, beer cans, um, we found like a lens cap for a camera, coffee cups, um, like dog poop bags. And hauled it all out, a four and a half kilometer trek. It was pretty disgusting when I found it, to be honest. Um, It was a lot more trash than I've ever seen out in the wilderness, and it was clearly dumped. It wasn't an accident. I was annoyed at first, but then once we got closer to the bottom and like, That's when you became so angry at the fact that you were carrying so much stuff, but it wasn't yours. You name it, it was on the beach, it was on the trails, it was on the road. This is not the first time casual campers have made a mess of BC parks, leaving behind a trail of trash, frustrating nature lovers here and beyond. But this latest incident is getting a lot of attention because of photos like this that send a strong message. We were just out to enjoy the wilderness and... uh, It's pretty sad that, um, you know, what was supposed to be just a nice casual camp out at Joffrey ended up being a a bit of a a trash-picking-up mission. Nadia Stewart, Global News. More evidence tonight that B.C. remains a very divided province politically. This comes just days before the legislature resumes sitting and the government could be defeated. Keith Baldry joins us with more on the results of an exclusive poll. Keith, what have you got? Yeah, Epsos Reid has found that really nothing has changed since election night when those two uh, main parties were virtually tied in popular uh, support, if not seats. And today, look at the numbers now, no real change. The NDP up a bit at 42% of the decided vote. The Liberals at 40%, uh, the, Indi- uh, the Greens at 15%. Uh, so really, when you factor in the, the margin of error, there is no change here. This is a st- statistical dead heat. We also got Epsos Reid, very interesting. They decided to ask people what they thought about the minority government scenario. So, uh, Looking at the scenario in which the speaker would come from the NDP and the Greens, would they support a minority government in that situation? 41%, basically the same as the NDP vote, would support the minority government situation with the Greens and the NDP. 39%, though, would rather have another election that might produce a more decisive outcome. 20% don't know. So clearly the support for the minority government, Chris, is less than the combined vote for the Greens and the NDP, even though those are the two parties forming that, uh, that alliance. Hard to see right now how another election could settle anything or or have any other kind of impact than we've already seen. What are the chances Mm -hmm. there could be another election this summer? Unlikely, uh, if not highly unlikely, but possible if Lieutenant Governor Judith Gishon does not see stability in a 44-43 seat majority from the NDP and the Greens, she might uh, grant dissolution of the legislature. Most uh, constitutional experts think that's unlikely, but it is possible. All right. Keith Baldry in Victoria, thanks. North Korea's big buddy. It's going to open the door. Despite the international tension, Dennis Rodman pays a visit to Kim Jong-un with a lot of speculation about why. Still ahead tonight. And it's the key to quick and easy cross-border travel. But there's something you should know about Nexus before you apply. That's next. It looks and sounds like a party at the Vancouver Aquarium, and in a way, it kind of is. Rescued sea otter pups Rialto, Mac, and Kunick meeting for the first time today with five-year-old Katmai, 
who has been at the aquarium since 2013. The aquarium plans to socialize the young otters a little with the older ones throughout the summer. Nice to see them getting along. It's very cute. Mm -hmm. It's an easy way to beat bumper-to-bumper backups at the border. But travelers do need to be cautious when applying for a Nexus Pass. Our consumer reporter, Andrea, is here to tell us why. And Yes, Chris, you have to be so alert. Thanks so much. As of this past January, there were 1.5 million Nexus members, the majority of them Canadians. But choosing a fast track to the popular fast lane comes with risks. And Canada Border Services is warning potential applicants. The Nexus program allows low-risk pre-approved travelers to zip across the Canada-U.S. border using designated crossings. Successful applicants pay $50 for a five-year Nexus ID card. But keep this in mind. If you apply online, websites like this one, Fast Track Passport Control, often come up first in a Nexus Google search. For a $150 service fee, they offer application checking and processing service. But the CBSA says there is no need to have a third party complete your Nexus application. Using a third party will not speed things up, as all applications are reviewed and processed at the same rate on a first-come, first-served basis. The best advice? Go straight to the official Nexus website when making your application. The best way to submit your application is through the global online enrollment system. Uh, the Canada Border Service Agency cannot speculate on the payment methods uh, required by third-party service providers or organizations. However, if you're submitting a paper application, um, you'll be sending in a certified check, or you can input your credit card information on the form itself. And if you're submitting an um, application online through the global online enrollment system, uh, you'll be setting your method of payment, which is credit card. And the CBSA also says having a third party help you with your application may delay the acceptance and issuance of your membership in a trusted traveler program like Nexus or may result in a denial of membership. We reached out to Fast Track Consultancy Services to see what customers get for the Fast Track service fee, but we did not receive a response. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my information. You can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thank you, Anne. One of Canada's iconic retailers appears to be on its last legs. Sears Canada says there is significant doubt about its future and it doesn't expect to meet its financial obligations over the next year. That follows yet another dismal earnings report. Sears lost $144 million in the first quarter. Ironically, the retailer that was once king of catalog sales is among those hardest hit by online retail. A big shot in the arm today for Variety, the children's charity, a major donation and a challenge to the public. The half-million-dollar donation to Variety comes from benefactor Shafin Diamond. He doesn't like to be in the public eye, and he wasn't at today's presentation, but he's also pledging to match any other donations dollar for dollar. That money will help children like Kalena, who was born with a rare neurological disorder and needed intensive and expensive speech therapy to learn to talk. Really, if it wasn't for the funding to afford the specialized therapy for Kalena, like, I don't know what we'd do. And I think we'd still be signing, you know, and I don't know if she would have been able to talk because it's a very specific type of treatment. And so we're just so grateful. Well done, Kalena. Wishing her luck and her... Uh, continue recovery. More riveting testimony about Russian interference in the U.S. election. Now you're not answering questions. You're impeding this investigation. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions and how he responded on the hot seat today. Also tonight. Oh, no, 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 no,
Amazing video as storm chasers get a little too close to a tornado in Wyoming. Oh, so no. Oh, no, 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 Please. no, 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 we're staying here, hang on. This debris. is about as big, close big as you can get to big a tornado without actually being blown away by it. Storm chasers capture this Wyoming twister as it destroys a barn and tears the roof off a house. At least two storms produced tornadoes in the region last night. No one was killed, but there are reports, two reports of injuries. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions came out with guns a-blazing today as he testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee. During a number of fiery exchanges, Sessions defended himself against all accusations connected with Russia. Sitting in the same seat where fired FBI Director James Comey appeared just five days ago, today Attorney General Jeff Sessions defiant, addressing the Russian election meddling Comey had been investigating. A suggestion that I participated in any collusion, that I was aware of any collusion with the Russian government to hurt this country is an appalling and detestable lie. But the sharpest moments, Democrats going after Sessions for not answering questions about his conversations with the president. And now you're not answering questions. You're impeding this investigation. Sessions relying on what he says was longstanding Justice Department practice about not revealing confidential information. I... Uh, am not stonewalling. I am following the historic policies of the Department of Justice. Today, Sessions contradicting Comey's account of the plea the former FBI director said he made to Sessions. Don't leave me alone with President Trump. After Comey says the president directed him to drop the Michael Flynn investigation. Sessions denying he stayed silent, as Comey claimed. I believe it was the next day that he said something expressed concern about being left alone with the president. But uh, that in itself is not problematic. Uh, He did not tell me at that time any details about anything that was said that was improper. And Sessions taking issue with this Comey assertion. We also were aware of facts that I can't discuss in an open setting that would make his continued engagement in a Russia-related investigation problematic. Mr. Comey said that there were matters with respect to the recusal that were problematic and he couldn't talk about them. What are they? Why don't you tell me? There are none, Senator Wyden. There are none. I can tell you that for absolute certainty. We can, we can. You tell, this is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me and I don't appreciate it. A bizarre turn of events in the growing tensions between the U.S. and North Korea. 22-year-old American student Otto Warmbier was caught on camera taking a poster from his hotel. He was sentenced last year in North Korea to 15 years hard labor for anti-state acts. He's been released, but his parents say he's now in a coma. They were told by Korean officials he'd contracted botulism and was given a sleeping pill from which he never woke up. This all comes as former NBA star Dennis Rodman arrives in North Korea for his fifth visit, saying he's trying to improve relationships between the U.S. and North Korea. U.S. President Donald Trump's perplexing tweet two weeks ago with an indescribable word has new life tonight. An Illinois congressman has introduced the Kofi Fee Act, or Communications Over Various Feeds Electronically for Engagement Act. It would designate tweets and other social media posts from a president as documentary material, ensuring their preservation. Congressman Mike Quigley says Trump needs to be held accountable for his posts. 
In Health Matters tonight, a popular brand of milk has been recalled on Vancouver Island. The recall targets four-liter jugs of foremost brand, homogenized and 2% milk that were sold in Loblaw stores on Vancouver Island. The milk could contain sharp pieces of metal. So far, no injuries have been reported. An update now on a story we brought you last week about a Vancouver businessman and American doctor who've teamed up to offer critical medical care to children half a world away. Tonight, an update on one of the people whose life was changed forever, a young man who's shown remarkable progress. Linda Aylesworth reports. Have you been for Ethiopian food here yet? It's been nine years since the unlikely bond between Gary Siegel of Vancouver and Tesfai Anagao of Ethiopia began. He was visiting Ethiopia, so he invited all of us in Sharatan Hotel, which is the biggest uh, hotel in Ethiopia. Tesfai, whose spine had been severely deformed by tuberculosis, had eked out a living as a young boy by selling gum and pens from a wheelbarrow. My impression of Tesfai was that in spite of, obviously, a severely debilitating condition, you know, he still had uh, something noble about him, a smile, a charm. They were introduced by this man, Dr. Rick Hodes, who explained that he could find no nearby hospital capable of taking on Tesfai's challenging case. This is an inspiring man, and I say, and the least I can do is try to help one person. Starts with helping one person, I guess. And so it was that eight years ago yesterday, Tesfai underwent 14 hours of surgery at Vancouver General Hospital, and with the support of two metal rods and 20 screws, came out seven inches taller. He could breathe better. He only had about 27% breathing capacity before surgery. <laughs> A few months later, Tesfai returned to his village with Gary by his side. In the middle of town, my, my mom came out. I mean, she hugged me and she kissed me, and my cousin so does so nice this is my friend in college today he's studying accounting and hopes to one day get a business degree well my dream is to open maybe cafe or market that's it that he's back in Vancouver was to attend Bring Back Hope, an event inspired by his journey that raised over $1.8 million last week. It'll all go towards helping other young Ethiopians. I am so excited. I'm so happy. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Great to see him doing so well. You bet. Shining a light on a big problem in the auto industry. A test of the top-selling SUVs finds you could be driving dangerously without even knowing it. But first, the family of foxes frolics in a Prince George backyard. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A quiet breakfast in a New York restaurant comes to a crashing end. What happened after the forecast? you got to wait around for that one. It's <laughs> really good. You don't you need would, coffee. Right? That'll wake you up. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, uh, Christy Gordon, obviously, uh, standing there now with our weather forecast. And a few rays of sunshine in behind you. Yes, actually, a spectacular uh, scene out there right now. You can see this still mainly cloudy, but you can certainly see that sun trying to make its way through. And it was doing that all day long. In fact, uh, we did see a few very light scattered showers, but it was generally dry. The problem was it was a little on the cool side. Look at this. 16 degrees was our high. An average is 19. A record set back in 2002, hitting 27 degrees. And I also wanted to point out, um, we're getting close to the summer solstice, where the sun set at uh, about 20 minutes after 9. 
online. Um, the summer solstice is a week away, so June 20th. We'll have it at about 9.40 something at night. And from there on in, the days get shorter and shorter. Um, the good news is we've got sort of 16 hours and 15 minutes of daylight as we head into the next couple of days. Uh, and then we start to get um, them, they start to get shorter. That's a good eight hours longer than during the December solstice. So enjoy it, everyone, despite the fact we haven't seen a ton of sunshine, but not bad conditions near seasonal and through the interior regions, mid-20s, Kelowna hitting 25 degrees, and that has certainly improved the flood advisories. Look at this. No more flood watches in effect. We are just under high stream flow advisories for the North and South Thompson River, the Shuswap River, and the Fraser River, all the way out towards the water. So we are still watching this, certainly, but it looks like the next couple of days of mild temperatures are going to help as well. This is the bigger picture. We have an upper-level low that's just touching onto that southeastern corner of the province. We have had periods of rain, heavy at times, with a couple of thunderstorms. You can certainly see the lightning strikes there. This upper-level low is bringing two different disturbances right on shore. Tomorrow will be fairly weak. We'll continue with clouds, similar to what we saw today, but we have about a 40% chance of showers. So that's better chance of showers uh, tomorrow compared to what we saw today. And then this next one pushes in, and that will be our soaker. So Wednesday night through Thursday, expect it to be wet. So north goes, though, you will be wet tomorrow, especially by the afternoon hours. Prince George and Quinnell is just pockets of showers with a risk of thunderstorms, and that extends across these uh, Columbia regions and down into the Kootenai area as well. Mostly dry, though, through the southern interior, and for the coastal regions, mostly dry as well. But a 40% chance of showers, isolated showers here and there, and a high of only 15 degrees. So we're certainly staying on the cool trend, and then we will get wet on Thursday. But we break out of that uh, cloud cover, it looks like, late Friday. And our weather window for tonight, a spectacular sunset from Prince George. Thanks to Deanna Gill for that one. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay, thanks, Christy. Denny's customers in New York were jolted out of their morning routine by an unexpected visitor. Keep your eyes on the top right of your screen. You'll see a deer crashing through a window like it's been shot out of a cannon. And then it scrambles to try to get out. Broken glass goes flying. Customers jump out of the animal's way. In the end, an employee simply opened a door, and after struggling to get its footing, the deer ran out. It didn't appear to be hurt, and none of the customers were injured either. Right back to their moons over Miami. Right. And this video sent to us by Ian and Cora Carson in Prince George. They say every morning for the past two weeks, they've been able to watch this in their backyard. Two adults and three fox cubs with the youngsters doing what they do best, playing hard. We posted the entire video on our Facebook page. It's pretty cute. You got to <laughs> check it out. Well, an important warning tonight about some of the most popular vehicles on the road today. New research from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety tested the top-selling SUVs and found the vast majority have headlights that don't make the grade. Across the country, of the 40,000 people who die every year on the nation's roads, half are killed at night, dusk, or dawn. The track is ready. You can begin your run. Now, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety is shining a light on a big part of the problem, the headlights. Of the 37 mid-sized 2017 SUV models it recently tested, only two had headlights that earned a good rating, the Volvo XC60 and Hyundai Santa Fe. Too many headlights compromise safety because they only allow a short view down the road at night. 
The split screen shows the difference using low beam lights. On the top, the Volvo XC60 with a good rating. On the bottom, the Kia Sorento with a poor rating. Side by side at 100 feet, the Volvo offers twice the light, illuminating a pedestrian and a deer barely visible with the Kia. Kia, one of 11 models with a poor rating, tells NBC News its vehicles meet or exceed national safety standards, and Kia will carefully evaluate the results of this test as part of its commitment to continuous improvement. Even some luxury SUVs received poor ratings. If you don't have the right lighting or headlights, you might come around the corner and simply not see a child, a deer, or some other obstruction in the roadway. Where the lights are aimed is critical, since higher-sitting SUVs can blind oncoming traffic. Starting next year, if automakers want their cars to get the very top insurance safety rating, they'll have to ensure their headlights are up to the job. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. All right. Shine your uh, iPhone out the window. In some but cases, it might be better. But you're not supposed to hold your phone when you're driving. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't pay attention to my at all. <laughs> when it comes to an iPhone and driving, do not listen to don't, me. Don't do it. Don't do yeah. it. All right. The gang's all here. Welcome back. How's your back after your golf? Oh, it could be better. I'm going to be honest, but it was such a great event, uh, raising money for the Prostate Cancer Center at VGH yesterday. Uh, they raised $651,000, wow. which was fantastic. So thanks to everybody who uh, came out and took part in that. Mm-hmm. I was giving did, a golf clap. What did you think of the swing? One. We did show your swing. It was I heard, I heard that form. I... Oh, it was well, a, fine form? Yeah. I'll it take was that. impressive. <laughs> I'll take that. Was there actually a ball there when you were swinging? There was a ball. <laughs> there, was. there was a ball. It didn't end up exactly where I wanted it to. Yeah. In fact, it was nowhere near where I wanted it to go. <laughs> yeah, that's the story. The important thing good. about golf is to know all the swear words. That's the most important thing about golf. What you got for us? Well, I'm going to talk um, about how Canada did tonight against Curacao. The reason I'm going to talk about that is Alfonso Davies was out there and he played great in his first game for Canada. I'm also going to talk about another great Canadian athlete. A great amateur wrestler, now Arjun Bowler is getting ready for his UFC career. I'm here just to punch my ticket into the UFC. I'm here to get to the top of the heap. He is a man whose family is the real source of his strength and he'll tell us about it. I've never done that. Uh, nice to hear that the uh, teenager, the Canadian teenager, oh. is doing well. The new Canadian teenager. That's right. He played great out there tonight. Good. I will show you right now. Uh, with the CONCACAF Gold Cup of Soccer coming up next month, Canada played an exhibition game tonight in Montreal against Curacao. Now, if you're wondering liqueur fans, yes, their uniforms are blue or have blue in it. There. And before you think this is an easy game for Canada, Curacao is ranked 70th in the world. Canada, 109th. This is the first time, as we just mentioned, Alfonso Davies, a 16-year-old from the Whitecaps, has played for Canada, just became a citizen, and the national team pretty much took him right from the swearing-in ceremony to Montreal to get him ready for his debut. He was not in Canada's starting lineup, but he got on the field. We'll show you in a moment. But first goal to Curacao, Rangelo Janga. Yep, should have covered him a little better. That makes it one nothing for Curacao in the 43rd minute. Now, just before halftime, Canada off the free kick. Man Ricard James. Keeper mishandled it. James right where he's got to be. It's 1-1. To the second half we go. Kyle Laren, one of Canada's best strikers. you got to score here. Or at least hit the net. At least hit the net. Make him make a save. All right, let's bring in the kid. Alfonso Davies is in. Not only is he in, 
He almost scores. Little off the goalie's line, he might have got one there. And if that's not enough from Davies, he can do. He can how just about this? Defenders and he just uses Rushes in and causes a penalty in the box, so Canada gets a penalty shot because of that. And quite frankly, they should let the kid take it because Hoyland hits the post. I know what you're thinking. Oh, they blew their chance to win it. But no, shortly after that, Canada would score. Anthony Jackson Hamel. That looks like poor net mining to me. Uh, two on the final. Canada beats Curacao and Davies played great. Well, when we first started following Richmond's Arjun Buller, Buller make that, he was one of Canada's best amateur wrestlers, an Olympian, a gold medalist at the Commonwealth Games for Canada. He did it all in wrestling, and then he switched to MMA. And on September 9th, he will start his UFC career in Edmonton, and he believes that his extensive background in combat sports has set him up for an outstanding career in the octagon. They don't have what I have. You told me one guy who's been, since diapers, been dedicated to, to his craft since day one. <laughs> to put it simply, Arjun Buller was born for this. The son of a great wrestler, he learned the sport from his father, Avtar, and those lessons give him a good foundation for the UFC. No one in the heavyweight division is an Olympic caliber wrestler, not one. There's college level wrestlers, no one is world class in that. And my striking's come up to that level now. I'm going to start asking you every day yeah. what round and <laughs> which minute is this guy going down? This guy is Luis Henrique, the first obstacle between Arjun Buller and his goal of the UFC heavyweight championship. So he's Brazilian, so we know he comes from a jiu-jitsu background. Um, and he's been in the UFC for a few years now, I think three, four years. Um, and he's a little taller, a couple inches. Uh, and aside from that, uh, that's all we need to know. Uh, the rest is on me to be ready. Arjun Buller's strength does not just come from the equipment that fills a training facility in his family's farm in Richmond. It comes from his family itself and the South Asian community. Um, I've represented the Maple Leaf for many years um, at the Olympic level for, for the sport of wrestling, um, but I've also represented my community proudly. Uh, I, I stand on the shoulders of giants that have come before me and pioneers in our community um, with all those people sacrificing kids like myself when I had a chance. And Arjun Buller is reminded of that motivation every day from his family's history and his family's farm. We, we came over, berry pickers, sawmill workers, that was our family. Uh, eventually, we're, we've been able to now you know, own our own farms, um, but still immigrants are working out there, 60-year-old men, 70-year-old men out there. They have no other opportunity. They don't have the language, any other skills. So anytime I got off track, my father would take me out to the fields. He'd be like, this is where we come from. These people are here for a reason. They don't have the opportunity you have, so don't waste that. Which is why Buller has his eye on the ultimate prize. I'm not here just to punch my ticket into the UFC. I'm here to get to the top of the heap, and that's what we're excited for. All right, let's check out the Blue Jays tonight. Back home against Tampa Bay. Jays still last in their division, American League East, behind Tampa Bay, among other teams. And this isn't going to help the cause. Taylor Featherston with the home run here. That made it one nothing in the third. Rays keep piling it on. Evan Longoria. That's not out of the yard, but it'll give the Jays enough trouble and enough time for two Rays to score. Six nothing at that point. 7-0 the last time we checked in the 8th inning. There you go. Oh, looking good. Thanks, Squire. There's always a chance, though. <laughs> there is. Over yet. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's yeah. check in with Andrew and now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And.
Thanks, Sophie. And we are keeping a watch on that fire in Kelowna sparked by an unattended campfire. BC Wildfire Service now saying the fire is being held with 2.5 hectares burning. Crews are hoping winds don't pick up so they can get the fire contained. We also have crews out at a public meeting tonight in Pitt Meadows. Just last week, three people were removed by RCMP after tempers flared over a planned business park development. Tonight, that same development is back on the table. We'll have the very latest when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. All right, Anne, thank you. And when we come back, a sneak peek at Whistler's new Pod Hotel. Well, it's not for everyone, but a B.C. company is betting that Whistler is the perfect spot for the next big idea in affordable vacation accommodation. The resort town will be the first in Canada to have a pod hotel. Ted Chernecki has the first look inside. You know, the idea here is that people feel like they have everything they need. Right now, it doesn't look like much, just a labyrinth of wood frames. But in less than a year and $10 million later, Whistler's newest accommodation is expected to open. And it'll be unlike anything you've ever seen before in Canada. We want to play in that wide open space between what a hostel outside of town charges and what a hotel inside of town charges. We have another uh, uh, eight pods upstairs. 88 pods in all, each with one double bed, though the rooms are designed for single occupancy. Two common areas will be the social centres, one offering a panoramic view of Old Whistler Village from behind large windows and one from an outdoor rooftop patio. This is a, a, a waterproofing membrane. There are several layers of build-up. These guys don't come to Whistler today. These, you know, 38-year-olds who, who are young professionals because there isn't a product for them, right? Maybe a few of them come, but for three days instead of ten because they can't afford it. They've had capsule hotels for years in places like Tokyo, but the aim here is to do a more upscale version of the same. How much will it cost per night? Well, the developer isn't saying since room rates in Whistler vary wildly from month to month, but if one was to speculate, maybe a rate between $100 and $200 a night during peak season... That would still be less than half the price of a high-end hotel. Really, you're supposed to feel like you're on a, on a, on a, on a luxury lot, yacht, and this is your little berth. This building used to be a timeshare complex and a badly run one at that. So many investors had walked away from their financial obligations, the building fell into serious disrepair. It took the developer a year and a half just to find each of the 1,200 investors and buy each one out. Ted Chernacki, Global News. And conveniently located within stumbling distance to the Longhorn. <laughs> That's right. And a few others. And a few others. You said you had the best line in the commercial break yeah. earlier saying, yeah, I hope you pack light because there's not, not, a lot, not a lot of room in there. No. They look cozy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, don't know if, sure. I don't know if a curtain's enough for privacy. but yeah, I we'll don't see. know if we were seeing that properly.